to uh, the latest episode of the Be Better podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time, welcome. If this is more than your first time, thank you for listening in. I've actually reconnected with a couple of mates, one from uni who's been listening to my podcast. I'm like, who knew? Someone actually listens. So shout out to Stokesy. Um, but anyway, with me today, we have Oliver Hunt from MedSelf. So, Ollie, how's it going? It's good. Great to be here, Tim. Great to be on the podcast. Excellent. That's what we like. Um, so for people who um, have been living under a rock and don't know the amazing stuff that uh, you do and who you are, who, who are you? What do you do? Um, so me, I'm Ollie. I, um, I'm 29. I live in Christchurch, New Zealand. And uh, in my personal life, I love uh, spending time in the outdoors with my mates, mountain biking, skiing, surfing, and uh, everything else that goes with it. Occasionally running and going to the gym to stay fit enough to do those things. <laughs> um, but... Uh, I suppose the reason I'm here on this podcast is that I run a company called MedSelf, which is a social enterprise that remanufactures single-use medical devices uh, that would ordinarily go to landfill and then returns them back to hospitals for safe clinical reuse uh, for hospitals all over New Zealand. And uh, we employ people who face barriers to employment in their processes. We're carbon zero, climate positive organization, and we save money for the health system and provide a stronger supply chain. So that's um, a bit about who I am and, and what I do on a day to day. Nice. And so, yeah, so let's get into, let's get straight into MedSelf. Um, so we first met, I think you were still at uni. Um, I came in to give a talk on B Corp at a quite a high general level. And I think, because when were you at uni? It would have been. Oh, it seems like a long time ago now, but <clears throat> Mate, uh, from you, you think it's a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. 2013 through to 2000 and at the start of 2018. Um, so right. I did a medical engineering degree and then I finished off with a master's in engineering management. Wow. Yeah, that's definitely not my vibe. Um, medieval history for me, much easier to bluff than actually knowing shit. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I was, because I, I think I remember that talk I gave. I was trying to like, how do, how do I, how do I connect to a bunch of students? I was like, oh, I'll, I'll try and give them some references to when I was at university. And, and so I was at university in 1996, 1999. I was, I was like, so does anyone recognize this person? I put a picture of Sean Fitzpatrick up, who was the captain of the All Blacks in 1996. And most of the room were like, no, no idea. And I was like, um, do, do any of you remember Princess Diana? And most people were like, no. <laughs> so well, she was still alive in 1996 anyway. Um, and this was the number one song in New Zealand. How bizarre. Um, in 1996, most people, I think most people know that song. So that's why I made the connection. But um, so yeah, because um, so yeah, how, how did Metal come about? So you sort of in mechanical engineering to medical device sort of recycling, but yeah, well, not a direct connection, perhaps. So yeah, how, t tell us how did Metal come about? So um, probably good good to cover off like how we met because it's a good wee segue into this. Is that throughout my mechanical engineering degree, I gradually came to the realization that becoming a design engineer wasn't for me. Like I, I probably you know not really the person to do that. Um, I could do the work, but I wouldn't have, you know, enjoyed it on an ongoing mm. basis. So as I got further through that mechanical engineering undergraduate degree, I got more and more interested in businesses and and how one could create one. Because I thought it was just, you know, really interested in, in projects when I was younger. Mm. And a business is kind of the ultimate project because you've got the things that the business makes, the people, the structures, everything yeah. that goes. Up. And so when I met you, I was at an entree seminar in the undercroft at the university. That was it. And it was the you were introducing B Corp and you did this really good talk about I don't remember the Sean Fitzpatrick thing, but you did this talk about how a lot of people go through their lives and they 
you know, find a good job that pays good money and they work hard in that job. But that job doesn't necessarily align with what they see as their own purpose personally. And many type people don't even know what their own purpose is either. Um, and I thought this was kind of funny because you talked about your time working with Johnson & Johnson um, mm -hmm. implants and there you were standing in front of a bunch of university students in t-shirts and shorts but you were wearing a suit and I like, <laughs> there's some irony here um, <laughs> it was a navy blue suit and it was sort of like we could yeah, put this yeah. on the back of bus and you'd be flogging houses in no time and so <laughs> yeah. I, I, I missed my true calling in real estate I'd do it I'd do it and I remember striking <laughs> up a conversation with you about hip implants after that because I, my uncle was a surgeon and you knew him professionally um, and so we ended up having a conversation afterwards and I was sort of like, hmm, this is an interesting conversation because like I sort of challenged the fact that, yeah, you were in a suit and had worked <laughs> JJ and this is a big flip for you. And anyway, that kind of got the idea in my head that, you know, I was really interested in business, but business didn't need to be without purpose and it could actually deliver positive impact more so than I had potentially considered. One of those things that I probably hadn't thought about so much, but having that conversation with you and understanding the B Corp framework was definitely you know, well, okay, there's a different way of thinking about something that I hadn't considered before. And so sometime after that, I needed a master's project for my master's in engineering management. And that course is, is mostly coursework. And then the last 40% of the course is, is a project. Most people will do a project for a large company like Fonterra or Sinlay or, you know, mm. out there and they're doing an optimization of supply chain or the new drying process or something like that, that mm. combines all of the engineering and engineering management disciplines but you can also start a company and so i initially had a project lined up with the company in christchurch called osis but they will we weren't quite aligned on whether or not i was going to get paid and when we figured out that i wasn't going to do and um and so i was like well shit, i need to come up with a project and i need to do it fast because i've got to start this thing soon five months of work to cap off my masters. Mm. So I went around to my, the aforementioned uncle's place and I was just, just before the election, it was about September 17, 2017. And I said, look, the health, funnily enough, is back on the radar. The election's coming up in a week. What do you think is going to happen? You know, if we have a change of government and he said, oh, probably nothing. Uh, and it's not going to make a big difference for people. But we kind of pursued the conversation a bit further. And he, he started a couple of companies in, in Christchurch that do medical devices. And he's a surgeon, obviously. And he said, look at the stuff in my garage. Why don't you try and figure out a way to remanufacture or reprocess that or make it sterile again so hospitals can reuse it. And that mm. can be your project. And I was like, hmm, interesting. All right, I need to do some validation that this is actually potentially possible. Mm. So I went back to my mates at Osis and I said, look, it, um, all right, we know we're not doing this project, but what do you reckon? And they said, well, yeah, definitely. It's definitely possible. We'd looked at this. We just mm. couldn't make it work a few years ago, 10 years ago at that time. And I was like, okay. And they said, well, look, ha have all of our stuff, have our documentation, have our research. And um, you can wow. figure out, see if what you can do. And by the way, here's a couple of customers you could potentially go and talk to. So they they gave me the first intro um, to a to, uh, nurse manager at Burwood Hospital. Yep. I went out met with and I didn't even know what the product was going to be but yeah that was the start and and so I built a process around this one product they told me that was the right product to start with I built a process around it a year later I got it into the hospital so I worked for an entire year from the date that I started my project through to the date we had our first purchase order you know sans salary 
or any other form of um, you know, yep. employment contract. And uh, I won a few awards over that time period because the, the idea was so good. And then, you know, fast forward to here we are today and we're working across almost every hospital in New Zealand. We employ, uh, you know, close to 30 people and we now have some stuff starting up in Australia as well. And we're making a you know significant positive impact on uh, the health system from a financial perspective, from a waste perspective. And we're employing, uh, you know, quite a lot of people who otherwise might have struggled to find employment in our, you know, the normal workforce. So yeah, it's been good. And that's, that's a bit of a condensed version of the journey and, and how it started, I suppose. That's super cool. Um, the, the UC Entree for people listening, not in New Zealand. So University of Canterbury, is, is Entree still going? I don't, I don't know. Um, possibly. Um, yeah, and I think so. Um, you know, it sort of, it, it, it continues to evolve as mm. uh, time goes on, but it's the centre, it's the entrepreneurship club. Yeah, so yeah. There's a number of clubs at the university and at the University of Canterbury is kind of known for having a really good club scene. I was involved in the Canterbury University Board Riding Association, which is sort of lined up with my skiing and surfing and stuff. And then um, also the Engineering Society, which sort of lined up with my interest in engineering and also all of the other fun stuff that goes the, on there. The, the beer drinking. <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of that. And, um, but the Entree Club as well. And so Entree would run competitions for people to come up with business ideas and pitch them and things like that. And they do like a startup competition and they would also host workshops and yours was one of them. So uh, yeah. And it, yeah. it does exist. Yeah. Cause it's, and there's been quite a few B Corps that have come out of it. So Brianne West at a teak, she, she won the, I think or one or got runner up maybe in, in the Entree. So it, it used to be that, that they, that it was like a, a startup um, competition as well, where you, if, if you, you created a startup idea, you would, you'd have some mentoring from some uh, industry experts, um, which I think I was one for a couple of years. Um, I worked with Bridget Williams who had a, a different idea, but she's now doing beat and proceed, which kind of was a spin out of her idea. Um, yeah. There's some Brianne from Etique, um and Sam from little yellow bird. Um, so, yeah. and, and you and yourselves definitely three, like yeah, really so, cool B Corps that have been spun out of a, a student competition at UC. So go UC, I suppose. Well, it's actually funny because MedSelf, I put a number of ideas through to Entree and they all got told pretty much, you know, keep walking, mate, take the next cab. Oh, like, brutal. No, no, like that is not going to work. And I found that it was it was challenging because a lot <laughs> of those ideas um, I thought were pretty good. So there's one like pretty much, uh, there's a company called MenuAid in Christchurch, which does... Yep. Uh, supermarket shopping so a similar idea to that is one that i put to um entree like probably six or seven years ago and it's probably a really good lesson for anyone out there that's an entrepreneur is you know these sometimes the people that are judging these awards are not the customer and they don't actually know what's going to work um so there was one there and then there was another one i remember putting through which is effectively gatsby the app that tells you how much fuel prices are around the country um anyway those those two uh they failed they got they got the no, you can't. And I didn't push them very hard because I didn't have to, because I didn't have to do a project on them. Mm. But with myself, I actually took it through the um, university's University Centre for Entrepreneurship uh, program. And that that's kind of a funny one because I started MedSelf like, working on it quite late for what the summer startup program is. So mm. have the conversation September 17, probably about the 19th of September or the 20th. I'd, I'd got far enough down my journey because I was, really scrambling to make a project <laughs> but i realized i was going to do this and it was just going to happen and i went to the entrepreneur 
entrepreneurship center and i said look you've got the summer startup program you're paying all these people five grand to work on their ideas i know i've missed the cutoff but can i just be involved because for starters i need an office or somewhere to work <laughs> otherwise you know um it's going to be pretty lonely summer and uh they said look we'll let you in it's all good you're just not going to get the five grand because we've already given all the money away and i remember that year i was at the at the races in sort of early november the program starts on the 20th of November. And it was, I, was, I was at the Christchurch races, like the end of October, start of November. And I got this text saying, we found more funding. You're getting the scholarship. And I oh, was wow. like, mint. But it was pretty good that they didn't give me it right then and there. Because, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'll put it all on. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been off to a flying starter. It could have been a really yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm, the but, I'm not. So, I'm not sure that's in the investment playbook. Yeah, take take the initial seed funding and go to the casino or the races. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, that's, that's right. So anyway, I started the program there, did the entrepreneurship uh, thing over the summer, and ended up winning a few of the awards. So two of the five awards at the end of the showcase. So we all did oh. a three minute pitch. You have to pitch your ideas to about two three hundred people. Mm. Uh, we and midself won people's choice and best opportunity. Um, which always, because um, there was one of our competitors, not competitors, like one of the other companies in the mm. in the competition or the the program, Komodo, well, at the time was called Satisfying Sport. And you probably know Chris, Chris Bacon. Um, yep. And he, <laughs> he won best pitch, which really got me. But um, <laughs> Not that you're competitive. Not yeah. that I'm competitive. <laughs> so uh, anyway, yeah, that was the start. So, and then a few years, a few months later, I won an award and uh, it was effectively $100,000 in kind um, for, for well, many of it. Twenty thousand dollars in cash, and that kind of paid for the equipment and the stuff that we got to get going. We got a few grants, and then a year later, we were actually operating, which is quite a long time when you're twenty three. Um, one year is a bit yeah. of a slog. Um, yeah. And if I'm perfectly honest, I'd finished the summer startup program, and I was trying to figure out whether this was going to fly or not. And I turned up to the awards evening for the this Dream Believe Succeed Award. And I was one of the sort of seven or eight contestants and I was convinced that there's no way I was going to win. But I turned mm-hmm. up in a suit anyway. And, um, and I won. And and Midsoft won. And I didn't even I hadn't even told anyone. I'd been playing tennis with some mates earlier in the day and I just put a suit on and turned up and won. And I was amazed. And then I was like, all right, well, I've got to give it a real good shot now because yeah, someone believes in me. Didn't make it. It still was a really tough, tough challenge to get into hospitals from that point onwards. But we're there yeah. now. Yeah, man, that's such a super cool. I mean, I guess it's sort of proof that pressure makes diamonds in some ways. <laughs> you go under the pressure, immense pressure to, to find a project. Um, but because you, you, you talked about how you know you had these other ideas like you know these apps and stuff. If let, let's say Devil's Advocate, the the finding cheaper petrol app had had won, do, do you see a parallel universe sliding door moment where you'd be as happy and as satisfied and as excited about having an app that helps people find cheaper gas? compared to the debt because clearly what you're doing at MedSalve we'll, we'll dig into some of the good that you're doing like there's layers of good that you're doing at MedSalve that there's no way you would have done that with a cheap petrol app or finding some food app yeah look I think you're touching on something really important and and like I've just talked about this really difficult time in my life professionally and personally to go through that I've got an idea I've got a customer and that took a lot of um, you know, you wake up every morning, you go, what am I doing today? Because all I'm waiting for is someone to reply to an email. That's it, you know, for months. And then someone kicks you a meeting for a month and you're like, oh, well, 
I guess, I'll, I, you know, what am I going to get out of bed for today? And it's actually quite mm-hmm. hard. And I think having that knowledge that this is something that aligns with what I like doing, you know, with skiing, mountain biking, surfing, spending time in the outdoors, that I can be, you know, one and the same across those two areas, mm. that's really important. I think, you know, to be sort of to the counterpoint, I think building something and getting customer adoption and getting good feedback on a product or an app or whatever, to a point, is, doesn't that, that gets you a long way. Mm. But then those hard times when you're not getting that, and it's and that will happen with any sort of enterprise, whether it's for good or for just to go and you know make lots of money, mm. it would become a lot harder. I think yep. if you don't have that uh, underlying alignment with your overall purpose. So I think um, I don't think I'd find that particularly rewarding, and I don't think it would be there. I mean, I struggle uh, even now. Like, there's not many vehicles that you can take up a ski field that. Um, are electric in New Zealand. Mm. And so like that's that's for me a bit of a pain because I prefer not to have, you know, a, a car that's and we've talked about this uh you and I, because but there's no no other option. We yeah. look look bated breath for a Cybertruck or a Rivian or something like that. But for <laughs> start, probably not gonna spend two hundred thousand dollars on a vehicle and yeah. so so I think uh I think yeah, to be honest, that's a that's a, the big thing for me. You've got to really be aligned with it. And if um if you're not, I think that's going to make it imp- probably impossible. Definitely yeah. very hard to go through those toughest tough periods. Hundred um, percent. Yeah, that's why I'm so big on the purpose thing and having been on the on the other side of it for many years of not having, you know, or, or having that disconnected purpose. Yeah, I, I think it's for well, me. It's it's this massive potential that people ha- haven't tapped into. Um, and you're kind of touching on a really interesting one there because like the company that you're sort of talking about is a multi, multinational company that is on the face of it out there to make people healthy. And that's definitely what they do with their individual products. Like that's the goal of the product yep. is to make that person's life better, that individual person. But the back end of that does a huge amount of damage to the environment. And mm. that ultimately has a negative impact on everyone else's health as well. Yeah. So it's... Um, yeah, you can see how some people just take this singular purpose, which is mm-hmm. just make it healthy, and they're looking at So it is an interesting one, but I think having that fully aligned all the way through, and, and every decision that you make within yep. business, um, yep. the you know considering against your purpose or, or you know mm-hmm. your what you want to be doing. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, I mean that, that that was the big thing for me. Um, uh, you know, when I was working in the medical device world. And and sad, I mean, have you been watching the painkillers stuff on Netflix about the OxyContin um, stuff in the oh, US? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. you know, I think I think that that is the more pernicious side of of the medical device world, and that was what really got me to to leave was the fact that beyond environmental impact, um, actually, there were there's frequent examples of where the actual core product that was being sold wasn't fit for purpose and was actually destroying lives and sometimes killing people when actually, you know, the root, you know, the Hippocratic oath that more broadly should be associated, what you think should be associated with the entire medical industry, you know, at first do no harm, actually the underlying driver for, for the medical device industry that I was a part of was make money at all costs. And if we lose a few patients on the way, that's, it's a reasonable expenditure that we can, deal with in lawsuits um and compensation yeah and and that's exactly right and you see like this i don't know the detail of the oxycontin stuff but from what i understand it's sort of like you're actually 
treating someone in a way that makes them dependent on a product where for you're effectively securing yourself in cash mm. flow. You're yeah. not actually making a positive difference on a person's life in the short yeah. or long term. Um, and, and that's difficult. And we found that there are some medical device companies that we have just been unable to um, to work with some in some parts of the world because the like the way that they make money is fundamentally mm. misaligned with what they want to do. So you've got companies out there that are saying, we want you to be healthy. But what they actually mean is, we want you to be healthy after you've got sick and significantly so, so we can make money off you becoming healthy. Um, and which, you know, this is where you get into the the future of healthcare type stuff where uh, if you could have an ideal world, everyone would avoid having to have a hip replacement because they mm. would do enough in their own personal life to, to you know, their activity and their exercise and their training and their strength and stuff that they don't need that. And, but that means that the company that makes $20,000 when that replacement goes in doesn't make any money. So, you know, you this is where like the Apple Watch, which by itself is like a $300 piece of equipment. And then you can use the software on that to train the person's body to be fitter and healthier and you know, I've just got a notification from Apple saying, you know, I need to close my close my ring for the day for uh, my my you know number of calories burnt or whatever. Mm. Stuff is is a lot cheaper. It's top mm. of the top of the cliff stuff, but there are companies who make lots of money at the bottom of the cliff, if you like. So, uh, the ambulance off the cliff type situation. Yep. So yeah, it's a it's really industry inter- interesting industry to work in, um, and it's it's certainly something that's you know, we find we don't even have to do anything differently. It sort of sets us apart in some cases from um, that. Yeah. Um, yeah, the whole medical device world, it's, um, that's a podcast. Maybe um, that that is a podcast to do with the bunch. Because I saw today or overnight, Sanofi, the pharmaceutical company in North America has now become a B Corp. And a lot of people were kind of like, oh, how can Nespresso be a B Corp? I'm actually more, well, how can a pharmaceutical company be a B Corp? I don't know Sanofi well. I, I, I sold, uh, as as we sort of mentioned, hips and knees and then spinal instruments and implants, so physical products. So um, I don't know as much about the pharmaceutical world. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of like, okay, Sanofi, interesting. You know, have they, I don't know, I don't know what their track record is. I'm going to try and do a bit of research on that. But I, I think it was, I was talking to Ian cooper from tasman um uh, trolleys and medical equipment last week on the podcast and um i saw they did a post yesterday and, and b lab have done a post with the three of you because uh, there's three mm-hmm. three kiwi companies who are in the medical device uh, sector so you've got yourselves um tasman tro- uh, trolleys and medical equipment and med enterprises who do recruitment for doctors and i'm, mm-hmm. I'm actually i'm going to write a, i have it in my tab to complete the post on the fact that it's it's a crying shame that there's only three medical device companies that are B Corp certified. And it's, again, it's like for the industry that should be about care and impact and only doing good. The fact that there are so few B Corps for me is quite telling of the wider industry. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like, it's it's sort of really, yeah, really interesting. And talk about the Hippocratic oath, which is the do no harm thing. Now that's most of the time it's do no harm to the patient. It's like, well, Mm. what about doing no harm to the planet or the rest of the people on it? And we, we sort of look at that and, yeah, so I think it's really interesting, and and, you, and you've kind of touched on a really good point there, which is B Corp's about purpose-led businesses that are doing good in a number of areas, and they can show that, you know, environmental, people, health, mm. et cetera. And for the fact that, like, so many of these companies either are unwilling or unable to, um, or, or just, you know, don't know about B Corp is a real eye-opener, because every single one of these companies 
has got to do regulations. They've, mm. they've got to deal with not do regulations. They've got to work in line with some form of regulations, whether it's the CE mark, the FDA, the, the T, TGA, or you know MedSafe even. They've got to maintain some form of ISO 35 or, or above compliance, MDR, et cetera. Uh, and, and so the B Corp is, you know, should be not that complicated, but the yeah. B Corp is more about just the whole company, not just the technical design of the product. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, it's a really interesting, interesting kind of concept. Probably a long, mm. a long rabbit hole we could go down. Uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. And because I think it's interesting. Because again, most people probably don't know. Um, so you know, my, my job was to sell the product to the surgeon. But then the the big part of my job was I used to stand in the corner of the operating theatre whilst the procedure was going on. Um, and at the critical points when the surgeon and the surgical team were about to use the product that that my or me and my company supplied we would then give them the advice around, okay, well, I, I would use this to do that. And you're giving them very sp- specific technical advice on how to put the, the the product into the human body. But I think what most people don't understand is the amount of, when you think about the, the waste, the amount of waste that is produced just in one typical operating procedure. So the patient is draped in sterile, basically sort of plasticky paper to make sure that the the, the risk of infection is reduced. The surgeons and the team um, are all wearing surgical gowns that are single-use plastic-based sort of material. You've got gloves, you've got face masks, you've got hats. Um, all the product that gets supplied, um, if it's if it's typically if for, for a device like a hip or a knee replacement, you've got these big metal trays that are sterilized each time. They're wrapped in this plastic paper. And then the, the products themselves typically come in a double-wrapped plastic container which or a cardboard box and then double-wrapped plastic paper where they've been sterilized um, with various gases to, to keep the, them stable on the shelf life and keep them sterile. And so by the end at the end of a procedure, you might have four big, like massive yellow bags oh. of, of rubbish um, per procedure. And you kind of think, well, in a typical hospital, there's what? How many operating theatres? And they're doing maybe anywhere between three to 10 procedures a day. You kind of go, actually, there's quite a bit of, and, and shipping all this equipment around the world um, for it to basically be used once and then thrown in the bin. It's... um. Yeah, and, and it's, it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, you know, you see some hospitals that we deal with, and they're you know reasonable sized hospitals, and they're doing eight tons a day of waste to landfill, wow. and it's not it's not just general waste; it's it's clinical waste, so it's expensive. Yeah, and um, so there, there's that, and then there's also just like, and I think one of the things I've I I think, and and I've been doing this for a long time now, is the reason that we're at this sort of stage with healthcare is is a, is kind of a multitude of factors. One of them is not many people understand that. So mm-hmm. your average person walking down the street, unless they're a nurse or they're directly involved in the provision of health surgeries, doesn't actually know that that's that goes on every yeah. time. And so this person who is, you know, trying to avoid using a single-use plastic bag in their personal life and probably over the course of a year generates the same amount of waste as one surgery um, or less uh, in their own personal, you know, consumption of food mm-hmm. products or whatever, they wouldn't have a clue. And and that that's really interesting when you consider that a lot of the healthcare delivery in, in New Zealand and Australia and the UK and other places is funded by the government who yeah. are <laughs> trying to get to stop using plastic. So like that's <clears throat> but in my opinion, one of the key reasons this, that we've got to this sort of thing is um, you know, firstly you've got manufacturers taking advantage of um epidemics and pandemics previous to COVID, like I'm talking AIDS and things like that, mm. where they're oh, well, we can make we can, you know, sell a product that is under the guise of infection control that is single use and therefore push that further. Yep. Whether or not that actually provides any benefit, in some cases it doesn't. Mm. 
many cases. And then the other one is the design. So I'm a big fan of um, beginning with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. And so this is a little bit off the reservation, but like one of the best examples of design that we have here in Otatahi Christchurch is the town hall. Mm-hmm. So the town hall is an acoustically amazing building that was designed um, and you know in conjunction with Marshall, Marshall Day Acoustics. And so when you go into the town hall for a performance, it's you know the yep. sound is amazing. It's it's world one of the world leading pieces of architecture for for sound. But the way that they got there, and they've got this fantastic building which has recently been rebuilt following the earthquakes, is that they brought the design engineers into the room at the first meeting mm. and so they built a building with the purpose of being acoustically excellent um, yep. and obviously able to hold people and all of those other constraints that they yep. need they didn't build a office block and then go and bat you know bat in the yeah, bunch of work out how to make it sound good yeah and the, the challenge for healthcare <laughs> is that you know these companies have been operating towards this angle where they haven't cared about the environment Mm. So a design decision all the way through for a product has been made with no regard for the product. And and then you start trying to bolt on sustainability and you find these like recycling programs and that, you know, that's not great because recycling usually takes them into a different material and you can't yep. use in the same way. Lower value, <clears throat> a lot of waste, a lot of energy. But actually we, you know, we've, we've started this and we, we, we're doing it. MedCell itself is, is effectively bolts onto the health system to fix mm. a problem. But if you were able to start, and we have started doing this at the design of the product, where you consider the impact on the environment as well as the patient, um, you can make a lot of design decisions that allow that product to be used a lot longer, um, mm. be a lot uh, probably safer, um, easier to clean, etc. Um, but obviously, a product that's easier to clean means it's the manufacturer is probably going to sell less of them. So yep. you've got this misaligned incentive between these multinationals. Yeah, yeah. And couple that with the fact that they're being manufactured in a faraway country. And that manufacturer doesn't want to do any um, activities in a high labor, com- high cost of labor country. Yeah. They would rather make it in, you know, China or some far away country where the cost of labor is relatively low, ship it somewhere, and then say goodbye to it once it's yep. been used. It's 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 almost the same as fast fashion, isn't it? it it's that whole, the whole ethos behind it, and and again. Um, it, it, the, the whole having been, you know, I guess the the poacher now turned gatekeeper, the whole. Um, uh, theory from the companies was single use is better because we care about patient outcomes and single use there's less risk of infection whereas if you're reusing the same product you know but then ironically and a lot of people don't know this in the private healthcare system quite often they do reuse stuff that was sold as single use because they want to maximize the the financial you know the roi so look, looking at like neurosurgical procedures they use a thing called a burr which is like a high speed drill with like a little looks like, a, like almost like a mace or like a it's got like a drill mm. bit on the, on the end of it well frequently in private hospitals they will reuse that because the company is probably selling them at 150 250 bucks a pop and so if the surgeon can use the same one three or four times they can bill the patient the same $200 for using a bird, but they're getting four uses out of it. So the, the economics of healthcare is really, really interesting. But then the, the flip side is I, I was really lucky to work in Wrightington Hospital in the UK, which is where the modern hip replacement was invented by Sir John Charnley. And there they were. So in the modern um, surgical world, I don't know if it's still the striker exhaust suit system, but um, when people do orthopedic procedures, they the risk of infection is massive because you're basically cutting open bones and you're, and you're opening the body and there's massive risk of infection. 
And that's what Sir John Charlie worked on, was if we can reduce the risk of infection in a hip replacement, we're going to rapidly increase the, the, the you know, the upside and, and, and the long-term survivorship of patients having hip surgery. And um, so he, he, he created this draping system and this exhaust suit system, which has now been converted into this modern design, which is single use. So you, you, you put the, the, the surgeon, like you, if you've seen TV dramas about doctors, you know, they put the blue gowns on. That's all single use. Well, in Wrightington, when I was there 15 years ago, they still used the same equipment that Charlie was using in the 60s, i.e. the gowns and the drapes that they were using were washed and laundered. And they they kept saying to the companies, you show me the paper that shows that single use is, is clinically significantly better than what we're doing and we will change. But you do not have that evidence. And I just think that the, the other thing I really loved about Charlie is so when he invented the modern hip replacement, he 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 discovered polyethylene as a as a product that he thought might extend the life of the hip replacement. And he was also testing with Teflon and he injected Teflon into his own body to see what the reaction was. And I think we need to bring that back into the medical world. If you're so sure that your product is going to solve the problem, you take it first, then you go and get to get it FDA approved. and Then you go and get to sell it. <laughs> Oh, I'm probably probably not going to go and weigh in on that specific <laughs> thing, but like I think, come on, Ollie, where's you put your money where your mouth is? Yeah, well, I think if you find me injecting a single, a remanufactured single-use <laughs> medical device into my product, you probably find uh, me, you know, becoming quite a lot larger as a person, but <laughs> not potentially having the same clinical benefit. But that, that's the kind of thing that you know, like if you look at that particular case study where you've got the surgical drapes and stuff and then they've moved to single use and they'll, you know, there'll be a rep going into a hospital. And, and this is what happens when you've got an understaffed health system, because all of a sudden it's not cost, it's not sustainability and it's not patient outcomes. It's convenience yep. that gets prioritized. And so we've made so much of an effort to, to bring with our products as much convenience as we can to the health system while at the same time delivering all those other benefits. But you, we found that hospitals, and this really gets me, hospitals that own their own laundries, which are not insignificant in size, using single-use sheets. Mm. And and the, the downstream effect of doing that is you start using a single-use sheet and then you know, a company tries to make more money. So what are they going to do? Well, they're going to figure out a way to reduce the cost of the single-use sheet yep. or the drape that you, you kind of cite in your example there. And one of the ways of doing that is to use a poor quality material, mm. which means, you know, you get a drape that breaks or mm. a, you've got a less high quality outcome from the patient. Which, which, you, which that means you need to use two drapes for, for each procedure instead of the one because it, it rips and oh, patient safety. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you're actually better to have a higher cost, initial cost, reusable product that you can, mm. you know, put through a process that's able to be cleaned. It's a small, and, so this is the sort of thing, and you find it like the convenience factor is material, and we will, you know, like New Zealand and Australia and the UK, all three of them have this common problem where we've got severely underfunded health systems, and the funding isn't used as well as it could be. Um, you know, we, we're making some good steps, in New Zealand, in terms of getting rid of uh, some of the waste spending on repeated decisions around the system. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that's what soaks up a lot of money in New Zealand, but uh, and, and, and there's no economies of scale that can be delivered. But the, what it means is you've got underfunding, you don't have enough workforce, you don't have enough staff, you're just seeing the political announcements, classic, you know, national and labor, we're going to give you more doctors, cool, but late, classic. Yeah. Um, would have been nice if you did that sort of 10 years ago, 
you know, this stuff is, you've been seeing it for a while. Anyway, point being, these doctors, these nurses, these clinicians, the people, the nurse aides, they're under pressure. They don't have much time. Convenience mm-hmm. is prioritized. And, and the short term, probably not noticeable. Longer term, worse outcomes for people, worse outcomes for the country, more cost, uh, more waste. And uh, and then eventually you become completely reliant on it. Mm-hmm. And we have very few medical device manufacturers this side of the equation. Yep. Um, that are capable of delivering the products that we need in New, in New Zealand for all of the complex mm. procedures that we do. So it's a pity, um, unfortunately. And that's what we're trying to change, you know, with, yep. with meds. You know, we do our stuff. We do the remanufacturing and the processes that we mm. do with our products and we do them for the hospitals that we work with. But on top of that, we're advocating for better behavior and better, you know, interest from these from these bigger companies. Mm. Um, but I'll give you an idea of what we're up against. So I was in a procurement conference recently uh and this is in australia and there was four people on a panel you know one representing in private hospitals one representing private insurers one representing a hospital and one representing all of the manufacturers mm. uh, and distributors of products in australia so the, and and the guy representing all the manufacturers and distributors of products in australia said we have we've done some analysis of our pricing to hospitals and this is more about pricing but he said we've done analysis of our pricing to hospitals and we found 14 reasons why the price might be different 14 reasons why the price might be different mm. from hospital to hospital to hospital um, and this is sort of well okay how many they buy mm. when they're located how much service that they require yep and you know what is it another 11 permutations of we want to make more money yep <laughs> Uh, realistically uh that, that just shows you sort of the way that the game gets played and you've got massively complex rebate systems and mm. volume you know not volume discounts but you know we've we found one the other day where there's a, an organization saying if you commit to buying 90 to 100 percent of your product from us we will give you uh about a 20 percent 25 percent discount on the product mm. price yeah you've got to commit to that in writing so like, that's interesting that individual thing it just it paints a picture because that doesn't actually make any benefit to the supplier if the mm. volume of the product doesn't go up it's yep. just yeah blocking other people out yep. so that's and that's just mm. that's just a couple of these are two days in my life yep. which i come across yep. and go and these guys were meant to be trusting to supply us products to yep. help us yeah yeah because yeah. i think aligned to that the thing that always astounded me as i got further down the rabbit hole you know, as I've progressed my career in the medical device industry, and you, you, the veil starts to be lifted further and further, and you see further back into the back room of what's actually going on. You know, we, when they talk about, oh, you know, well, we need to charge high prices because, you know, all the innovation we do. Well, typically what you find is most of the big companies aren't innovating at all. They watch someone like you who's got a startup, and once you get big and annoying enough, they come and buy you, and then they integrate you into the machine so there's very little actual innovation going actually what you're funding is mergers and acquisitions and paying lawyers and due diligence teams to go and buy smaller startup companies and secondly the, the, any innovation that is done internally in a company what they typically do is they design the widgets let's say i don't know they they design this this cup black cup for those of you listening can't see the video they then also patent the teacup, which so it's like a slightly different shape with a handle on it. And then they patent 50 to 100 variations either side of those to make sure that no one else can launch an even vaguely similar product for 25 years. 
And then they sit on those patents because they know that they only need to launch the one product that has to be marginally better than the last one that they launched 25 years ago because they can sit on the patents. And, that, and if anyone tries to um, innovate around that innovation, they slap them with lawsuits. So instead of actually all, you know, if you've got all the smart people like yourself, you know, engineers, designers from all the medical companies in the world and said, right, we're going to lock you in a room for a month. And between all of you, you need to solve all the pressing medical problems we've got. That are, and they need to be cost effective, sustainable, um, provide positive outcomes and, and just be amazing. You'd probably knock that out in a day, let alone a month. But no, the companies want to maintain shareholder primacy and make as much money as possible. Yeah. And it's, and it's always really interesting because even like we're, we're not a huge company, but even in companies of, you know, you get companies of our size, you get differences and reasons to be there from people within the company. And like, I can tell you now that the objectives of um, our engineers are, are we're, we're pretty aligned as a company. The reason that people, you know, work at MedSell is because they, you know, they, they value the purpose that it brings mm. to their life and they don't want to be making a, a negative impact on the planet, environment, people, mm. healthcare, et cetera. But what you find is the bigger the companies, you find these people who work in those companies and they're engineers and they're getting pissed off because they're getting told to figure yeah, out yeah. a way to make a product single use. Yeah. When you're actually just there to make, you know, the product deliver some healthcare. And mm. uh, it's super interesting to see how that that transpires. And, and, and you know, one of the ways we see it is because people apply for jobs at MedSelv. Right. And one of their comments is, you know, these are, you go to a trade show and a rep from another company says, oh man, I hate having to sell this stuff. Would you be mm. interested? In, you know, can I give you a CV? Nice. Um, or I'm an engineer for company X. I'm wondering if, you know, like this or... Um, whatever like they, they some of the stuff they do is pretty disingenuous but they'll just mm. make a normal product white it's like well yep. it could be blue and it will still do the same thing and it will still yep. be able to clean just the same and yeah you you know like but if it's got like a minor piece of a, a, a scuff or like a, a minor mark it's not actually mm. going to not clean it's just going to yep. recover it um yep. then it will prevent it from being able to be used again mm. and so like i find that really interesting um and people maybe don't understand that because they're not operating within the paradigm of this could be reused yeah um so yeah it's a hilarious industry to because you can sort of like as you say lift the veil open the kimono and you go what why did you do that yeah. oh you did that. yeah okay nice one yeah cool yeah um, and so um you're making some waves though you're making some progress um you, you you're changing the narrative um seemingly yeah so uh, we got our first customer within a year of idea to customer, roughly. Our second customer took about probably nine months from then. But now we've got 57 hospitals across New Zealand engaged with our programs. So there's there's 66 in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. um, 57 of those are engaged, and the majority of those engaged are buying products back through us, um, you know, either directly or through some of the companies that have, have had the foresight to go, actually, we should work with you rather than trying to aggressively punt you out of the market. Crazy idea. Yeah, yeah amazing, isn't it? And uh, and we've got, I mean, to be honest, the, the there are a small number of customers, potential customers that we don't have service in New Zealand. And, and that's because of the novelty. And what I mean by that is there's some people who have struggled to grapple with the idea of taking what a product is that's single use remanufacturing it and returning mm -hmm. it and it's still being safe and capable of doing the same job without posing any um any risk to the patient mm. uh etc and um yeah that's health for you 
you know, even if it's the perfect decision that's been made in all of the bigger hospitals, then we'll, you will still always find people who are saying, oh, it's impossible, mm. you know, whether or not they have any kind of um, valid reason to have any concerns about possibility of anything. But um, mm. yeah, so we're, we're working well and we've got really strong interest from across the Tasman. Um, I think it's been interesting to see the, the the difference in culture between New Zealand and Australia, like New Zealand probably perceives itself as a bit greener than Australia. Yep. And that's correct. But when Australia, Australia and Australians decide to do something, mm. they do it a little bit harder. Yep. Than, and it's, and it's at scale. Yep. Yeah. And they go, well, we're keen on doing that and <laughs> we will do that rather than, um, you know, oh, okay, well, we've got some bureaucracy to deal with in New yep. Zealand. Whereas in Australia, you know, it's been a little bit quicker. Yep. I've um, got a, um, a good mate of mine, Adam Harris. He's a business coach, EOS implementer. Um, he, he always, he's from the UK originally. He always says, in New Zealand, it takes you five minutes to find a decision maker, but it takes them five years to make a decision. Whereas in the UK, it takes you five years to find a decision maker, but they make the decision in five minutes. And I think that that feels like the same with Aussie. It's like if you find the right, it's going to take you longer to find the right person, but they'll they'll go when you if you've got a good offer. Yeah, and to give you like some exact colour on around that, there is a hospital that we work with in New Zealand, and we've got some great people that we work with there, but. It took us four and a half years to get them to actually use a product yeah. um, for itself that has, you know, avoids it going to landfill. And that really, you know, that's, that is shocking because what you end up with is we're keen, we're keen, we're keen, which is, you could just say no. And I'd feel a lot better about myself for a time period. 100%. You say yes, yeah. hard maybe is way worse than a no <laughs> type of thing. Um, but the, but the other thing is this hospital has, this particular organization has has got a goal of zero waste of landfill by 2030. It's like, hello, <laughs> we, we uh, might, yeah, we we might just that. be able to help that. Yeah, so that's, <laughs> and you do find like a, a little bit of like, if you think about their organizations as a, as a hierarchy, which they are, yeah. um, the people at the top want this. Yeah. People at the bottom want this. People in the middle can sometimes find lots of, mud or treacle to drip all over your process <laughs> progress. Um, so that's just that's just life but um, yep. so my job is not about sustainability and it's not about it's actually about making change and um, yep. that's what we do across the health system and we help encourage nice. people in other ways nice yeah you're multifaceted yeah and that's the thing i mean it's it's been the same with me you know I, me giving my talk to you back in 2014 you know far out you know it <laughs> You don't mm. know the, the influence of something that the conversation that you've had with someone in 2017 that is going to boil up and create some change next week. Um, it's really hard to know what you do or say. And, and, and the, you know, it's not always a linear, um, uh, you know, <laughs> effect of change. Um, was it us? I mean, oh. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. 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 No, exactly. Um, so it's, but it's good. I think New Zealand is kind of getting its head around the idea that, you know, um, New Zealand by itself, probably not going to solve the world's climate or environmental crises. Mm. But as a small country, it's kind of like the perfect place to innovate and learn things that can be shared mm. across the rest of the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, as long as you can get that decision-making speed up. Yeah. Um, that five yep. minutes, five years thing. That's very, very, I mean, I don't know about the UK, can't comment on that, but it's pretty accurate in New Zealand, I'd say. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, so just looking back briefly to, to the to the university days, it, no regrets. I mean, 
obviously well having said that i do i do find increase i mean like i say over the years i've done quite a bit, bit of um you know, spend a bit of time at UC and hanging out at other universities. It does just seem that increasingly the, the the young people, the youth of the day, whilst they're at university, everyone's got some side hustle and they've got a business idea. Um, and it's kind of, hey, you know, maybe when I leave, I'm going to go all in on my business idea. Um, whereas when I was at university, I was talking to my mate Stokesy, James Stokes yesterday, you know, we, we were just on a pathway. If you're going to finish university, you're going to go get a job. Um, th- th- there was no real, I mean, there might've been a young enterprise type thing hanging around somewhere, but most people have probably gone, yeah, it's full of geeks, not interested. Um, so yeah, any, any regrets on not having taken the corporate path, you know, just got the engineering, finished your degree, got and got a job at Fonterra. Um, you know, did, did you see other mates of yours going down that path and have any moments of when you're sitting there begging and borrowing and stealing an office? Um, were there any sort of moments where you're like, oh, damn it, actually, do you know what? I'm just going to go and get a job. Um, well, I think, I don't know, I, it's an interesting thing to think about because I think if you go down that corporate road, um, you probably go, well, I've, I've got a job and I can sign out of it. Like that's one thing that's harder to do with this business at the moment is, is to sign out and go, look, I'm off. You know, if I get a phone call on the weekend and it's, it's me to tell me, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to respond to that because it's mm-hmm. my name on the business and I don't want to let our customers down um, or employees, yeah. you know, our team members, anything like that. But um, so like, you know, can you turn off? It's a little harder to do that when you're sort of invested so heavily in this in this business. Um, on the other side of the coin, um, I think it's more fulfilling. So the highs are higher and the lows are probably lower because uh, it means it means something different to you when it's it's just sort of um, so invested in it. Mm. I think the same token though, um, I learned I have learned a lot with this business in terms of you know taking it from one person who was doing all of the work and everything, customer engagement, the processing, the design of the machines, the whole shebang, through to where we are now, where we've got, you know, multiple teams of people who are doing that work. And I'm having to learn how to manage managers who are managing, in some cases, managing their own supervisors or managers. Mm. And so that, from a professional development perspective, has been, you know, quite remarkable for me. Um, and I'm still very much learning that. Um, and luckily, I've got a really good team who, who I've built around me who can, you know, play their part they're also developing as well so a lot of time spent actually bringing them along the journey personnel development you know no one that works at MedSelf um, would have had a job in this industry if MedSelf didn't exist so there's, mm. we haven't hired people from other companies that already had that experience and, mm. and that's kind of good because we get to do things our way nice. and that you don't bring any of that sort of um, interesting sort of other medical device or the baggage yeah exactly so um, I think it's been good, and I, and I certainly you know get a lot of yeah, there's a little bit of um, freedom not being in a massive multinational company to be able to do things, and that sort of freedom extends to our team as well. I don't know. I just don't even think I could anticipate or contemplate being in one of those organisations yeah. and doing that stuff. It's just so so different. Um, you know, as I get better at doing mm-hmm. the roles that I'm met, so I will naturally have more process we're a pretty process driven organization mm. being iso accredited etc and b corp um already and we will become more that way as we mm. scale and do things but uh the good thing for me is is every day is a new challenge yep and that yep. was it was relentless but fun yeah uh, well i think you, you you clearly have that entrepreneurial spirit the fact that you were part of the entree you know club and, and even you know just looking at all of that i, I think 
fundamentally people like you and me are unemployable in the real world you know who who would have us in a large world because I, I think you're very much like me you'd just be pointing out the idiocy and the sorts of but why are we doing that you've, you've stated this but you're doing that this makes no sense that's a, that's what i always found in big companies like you say this but you're doing you're doing the different and uh, either i'm really dumb or you're not doing what you say you do yeah well you're right <laughs> and to be honest like i have to bite my tongue a fair bit within the health system because there's sort of things where you just sort of you scratch your head but you, yep. you know one of those steps is you realize that you can't just call things out straight away that's not necessarily going to make yeah. change because it's not about whether you're right or wrong it's about bringing yeah. people on the journey with you and making on them the journey that, something good, that good old journey <laughs> yeah it, it all wraps up and you can add more corporate speak around it as well yeah if you like but a bit, to the a point bit, of, a bit of bullshit like, bingo yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yes yeah, it all comes down to people i don't know that and i suppose every company will go through a stage where it's about the product and it's about the initial service delivery and eventually you get to a stage where actually you're managing people who are managing people and that is making yeah. sure that they've got all the tools to do their job I don't know. and as i said still a lot to learn for me nice at least um you acknowledge that you know there's a lot of leaders and managers out there who think they're perfect and don't they think that they need to do anything different or um or have you so you know that's awareness uh, self-awareness know thyself as the oracle at delphi would say is uh, a, a key part of that of that journey um all right so getting into the b corp side of things so obviously you, you connected to b corp pretty early in the piece in terms of you know the, the business idea listening to this crazy bloke in a suit um, i guess yeah i was wearing a suit because the company i was working for at the time i, I wasn't self-employed at the time and the company i was working for you kind of you wore a suit and tie um i don't think i've worn a suit and tie to a work meeting since i started my own business in late 2015 hence T-shirt is uh, is how I roll these days. Um, so yeah, you connected the idea of B Corp. So when when did you? So the business you, you started twenty seventeen. You said so we yeah. So I actually think that our talk you might have done your talk maybe twenty fifteen ish. Yeah, I think it would have been around about then. And I started Midsell twenty seventeen, the end of the year. So twelfth uh, December was when I just incorporated it. Um, but like from then, and. Um, I think it's a, it's a balancing act because we were like, well, we've got to do the B Corp thing at some point and we we're always going to have it in the back of our mind. Um, and then we sort of, we looked at it and we looked at it and we saw the successes. You know, you talked about Brianne West and what a fantastic business entrepreneur, you know, high executing person that has delivered such a fantastic result, you know, in that space and as a B Corp and as a leadership leader. Uh, so that's super cool. And we were looking at these things and going, okay, well, when's this going to be right but but it's probably better to have the customer because you know the thing about Beacle was you do have to have a bit of documentation you have to have a bit of history yeah. you have to have a bit of a track record to show and then um yeah so we started that and we looked we were like okay we've got we'll talk to the experts here because we know what we're doing should fit in well but i'm a competitive person and and i know that Corp doesn't like talking about the score which is sort of like why i have the score i suppose but um you know either it's binary or or there's a scale and we wanted to be right at the top of it and so we were like okay we know we're probably going to be able to hit b corp if we just went through the process right now yeah but we were like we can probably do better as a company it'll bring yeah. us up as a, in terms of our own things and it give us some more stuff to differentiate against the existing you know processes in the health system yep. so we that's when we engaged with you and we went through that process of okay what well, where are we what have we got what things can we tidy up and there's some areas that are easier and some things that are harder you know with in, in terms of um 
manufacturing and, and, and where things lie, like to be perfectly honest, you know, New Zealand has a high minimum wage, really high minimum wage. Mm. And what the minimum wages has absolutely no bearing on what the public health system will pay for medical devices, mm. um, which is an interesting thing. But, you know, so we, we looked at that and we moved moved there. And we've also, you know, we, we've always had an upwards pressure on wages anyway from internally. So things like that. So we worked through a whole bunch of stuff to do what we could to do to improve things over the course of, I think, six months. And a lot of it was actually just taking what we already do and writing it in B Corp language. So yep. we take it from ISO documents and then do that. And then we submitted and we went through the, um, the process of waiting for about a year um, until we went through that review process uh, earlier this year. And um, yeah, we came out with a score of 139.4, which um, I think for a company of our size and nature and definitely sector within New Zealand and probably Australia was, was the highest. Um, but there's there's obviously a couple of companies who have one company that's outscored us in New Zealand, um, <laughs> which uh, and Jamali Consulting, uh, I think they they do a good job. So that you know, yeah. good on them. But uh, we we're <clears> certainly <throat> proud of um, being able to achieve that. And now it's really a question for us is, is you know we've done all right, but we can do better. We're and nice. I, nice. And I think the thing about the B Corp framework is it is a framework. It is a measurable. It is evaluatable. It is objective. You know, most pretty much all of the things in there are objectives. There's only so many things that you can argue the toss on. And that's great because it means that everyone's getting held to a consistent standard. And so I've recommended that, you know, public organizations use B Corp as their way of evaluating suppliers. Like if you, whether they actually have B Corp certificates or not, certification or not, you know, using the tenets within that evaluation process would be quite a smart way of doing it. So that's how mm. we've done it. Nice. Um, and I am... Um, Big shout out to Amy, who's not on the call at the moment, but Amy, who is our, you know, one of our resident wizards, um, basically <laughs> managed that process and 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 did all of the sort of translation of what we do into how the B Corp um, talks about it, which nice. is really good. And um, yeah, just just looking, you know, talking about your score for a minute. So yeah, one hundred thirty nine point four, which is which is you know for a first time score is phenomenal. But that is testament and proof of the fact that you but you, you know you have baked the good into the business, and so. For those people who aren't completely au fait with the Beacon framework, there's, there's kind of two levels to the assessment. So the standard assessment is a review of your operational performance. So how do we employ people? Do we provide some basic training? You know, kind of slightly beyond what would be legally required, but not really a huge jump or huge extension. But there's a second level to the assessment, which is called the impact business model, which is if you can prove you're going out of your way to create more positive social or environmental impacts, that's where you kind of unlock the really big points. And so, as you kind of already mentioned, you unlocked, um, well, you, you've got um, four impact business models, which is really, really rare. And you've got four in four different um, uh, four different sections. So you have got, um, yeah, impact business model under workers because you uh, provide those employment opportunities to, to people who typically have, have challenges getting mainstream employment. Um, you unlocked um, the governance impact business model, which you well, you have to do that one now as a B Corp, which is the putting the purpose and stakeholder um, mm. uh, language into your constitution. You got an environmental IBM for the resource conservation work that you do because you're clearly repurposing recycling. So that's saving resource that would ordinarily be virgin material made to, to make a project. And because you're operating in the healthcare system and you're creating a product which has a health outcome, you got an impact business model there. So it, proof that you are across the board a truly phenomenal company so 
chapeau round of applause to you and how you've done it because you know i think you, you really have built you've built a company around the framework um as much as you know as, as much as wanting to prove that that you you know the thoughts and ideas that you've had because i know we we um met when i was doing some work at kilmarnock enterprises and that's where you sort of had that insight into oh wow you know there's a bunch of people here with intellectual disability who aren't really going to have much of an opportunity to have a job and and you kind of realize that initially there could be an outsourcing role but then you're like actually i'm scaling so quickly i'm just going to need to try and get a couple of people to come and work for me in my building um so yeah just kudos to you man for for, for how you've done it because you're just like if every business was operating like yours you know you just think how good the world could be yeah and it's kind of interesting like you talk about the way we've got there and, and i think the way we've got there is um we didn't actually look at the B Corp framework that early on. We just knew that it was business for good and it was generally yep. stuff that makes a difference on a positive way for the planet, for the people on it, et cetera. Didn't know what the impact business models were, didn't know all that stuff. But what we did do, and and this is a ripoff from all birds, like unashamedly, <laughs> why, why do something creative when you can just copy it? Yep, 100%. Uh, and it's it's not a ripoff from the documentation. It's a ripoff from the how I built this podcast with... Um, Tim Brown, and he says at a and, and Joey Zollinger at about one hour into that podcast, fifty nine minutes roughly, he says the thing about sustainability is you've got to consider it in every decision. And yeah, you probably can't do it if it's going to cost you twenty times as much to take that sustainable option. But if you can do it on every single decision that you make throughout the business, that will compound and you will become a far better business. And I'm just looking on the wall, you know, behind, I've got you know, three of our, our values, um, give equitable access, be transparent and um, optimize for customer impact. But one of our probably guiding values, we've got eight, there's a few, a few others, but be sustainable. And what that means for MedSelv is consider sustainability in every decision you make. And sustainability is this big nebulous word. So we've defined it environmental sustainability social sustainability and financial sustainability now that means every time we make a decision every time we have a business case that we look at every time we consider a new product or a new market or a new you know whatever it is that lens and all of the rest of our eight values get applied across that and i think that's probably the main reason we've been able to do it like if you look at and this is this kind of ties well into my what i'm talking about with the um the town hall analogy or the town hall kind of design process that they went through. They've, they've, we've got these guiding values that are there and they inform every decision. They're there for my, our team to make decisions when there's no one else there. You know, I've said to them, if you, if you can make a decision and you can point to all eight of the values and show that you've, you know, appropriately considered them all, I'm going to have a hard time disagreeing with that decision. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, we've defined that that's been there and like you know, we use reusable cartons to move our product around the country that costs us probably more than the original than the current way of doing it which is um and, and this is financially cardboard but mm. it delivers a benefit because we can now report on the number of cardboard boxes we haven't had to use recycle yep. otherwise recycling is not actually a panacea for that issue so mm. i think that's the main the main way we've done it you know with the other stuff is you know keep it simple be ambitious um be authentic and do good quality work, you know, and that rounds out our um, eight values. But the be sustainable one is probably the key, you know, cool the key one. driver and reason for the business to exist. Nice. And I think, 
you know, I think that this is the differentiator between how you're doing it and how how these other companies actually actually give a shit is, you know, when, when I worked for Johnson & Johnson, they had the credo, which was, you know, our number one priority is to the, the people who we're providing our medical devices to. The second consideration is to the um, doctors, surgeons, nurses, and support staff who are helping those patients get better. Our third consideration is to the communities in which they're all based. Our fourth consideration is profit. But that was just a lie because almost every decision in the company was around profit, which is why they've had, you know, the ASR hip replacement, one of the biggest medical device recalls in the world, because it was a profit-based decision, not a patient outcome-based decision. And so yeah. I think that the, the key is, and, and I think this is what's coming through, particularly with, you know, entrepreneurs of, of your generation, your age group, is, is you actually believe the values that you've written down on the piece of paper, and so do your team, and you actually hold each other accountable to them. Whereas in a lot of other companies, they go, yeah, well, we're just going to put the blankets over the values. Um, and then we're going to have a quick conversation about how we launch this product. And then we'll lift them back up. And then we're all we're all good. And we can all we can all be happy that we didn't see that. <laughs> yeah, I think like we, we had a customer come through this morning and we were talking talking to them about some of the things we do. Like there's a lot of things that we do at MedSelf that are not immediately obvious to the outside bystander because we've been too busy working with our customers mm. to update the website or put it on LinkedIn or whatever. One of those things is that, you know, when we've got products that they reach the end of their useful life, um, they can't be remanufactured because it's been damaged in a way that we can't fix. We take off uh, the, the polyvinyl chloride tubing from them, mm-hmm. cut it up, like physically cut it up with a pair of scissors and put it into a box. And we just build up these boxes of cardboard boxes that we've received from our suppliers like Office mm-hmm. Max. Cause unfortunately, you know, being the mighty beast that Midsell is, it can't get reusable <laughs> every other one of us. Yet. <laughs> Yet. And we and we ship them to Wellington for them to be turned into a playground matting material in a um, injection molding facility called Matter in Otaki. Mm. And every time we do that, it costs us 500 bucks. So, you know, 500 bucks on it when we could alternatively just chuck it into a bin and pay 30 or 40 dollars to yep. and that's one of those areas where actually we're paying quite a lot more than it would be otherwise to do the sustainable option but you know we don't want to be telling our customers that we're just sending their stuff to landfill if it hasn't you know that's just a that's the thinking there mm-hmm. um and we we're not in the you know we don't want to run at a loss because then we'll be able we'll be prevented from delivering our positive impacts but um you know it's the same same thing as you're saying just have your values and actually live them rather than yeah. and we've caught so many companies saying oh we've got this this is our goal it's like okay well mm-hmm. yeah. it's not and, just and, and so what yeah yeah i think yeah it's, it's that whole you know integrity the definition of integrity is do, doing the right thing even when no one's watching which is clearly what you're doing and then the other phrase I love, I can never remember the guy's name, but he was the head of alumni affairs at Notre Dame University. And he said, don't don't tell me your values. Show me where you spend your money. And that's, you know, it's the proof's in the pudding. It's like, yep. not. A, and, and I think this is where you, you're crushing it. It's like, yep, we say we do it, but we are actually doing it even when we don't tell you about it and you're not looking, we're still doing it. But if you want to know that, you can come and see because here's the proof. Um, well, the- the, that thing and the one that I'm super passionate about is definitely, you know, if we look at the things that Mental does, the most rewarding thing by a significant margin is our employment of people with barriers to employment of any any form. And probably until maybe last year, we did a video about one of our key staff members who was willing to just share his story on camera. Um, 
And until then, we really hadn't talked to our customers about what that actually meant. Mm. Uh, but we're lucky, you know. We're, and I had this really interesting conversation with someone the other day about why we do it. You know, they were like, what's your purpose behind doing that? Like, what's your reason? What have you got to gain? Like, how are you going to make more money by doing that? And I was kind of like, this is interesting because I haven't ever thought about it this way. And I ended up just going away and thinking about it. And kind of came back with doing that particular piece of work is not necessarily going to deliver us any more revenue mm-hmm. and they're not doing it. But given that we're a really process-driven organization that does the same thing to the same types of products over and over and over again and has an ultimately repeatable outcome that we're looking for every time or the same outcome, which is a clean, safe, functional product that can go back to a hospital mm-hmm. as will do the work. We are really well placed to offer employment to people who otherwise might not find it because of the consistency of the workflow and the, and the structure. Yep. And so it's really a case of... Um, you know, you, when you walk down the street and you see like an older, older person drop their shopping, you don't go and help them out because you're trying to get a promotion at work. Yeah, yeah. You don't help them out because it's the right thing to do and because yeah. you're well-placed to help them right then. And so that's how we view that. Like when we no, find ourselves in a position to do the right thing, we'll do that. Um, and and then if, if, it, if it helps our customers um, out as well and they are able to deliver on their scope three impact, carbon emissions or otherwise, then that's a benefit too. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting, it's an interesting way of thinking about it. But that's that's the whole idea of purpose. It's you know using what you've got to contribute to the greatest good, and that and that's what we need as humans. That's why helping the the old person who's dropped their food. That that's why it makes you feel good because I, I've used what I've got, my skills, my muscles, my ability to bend over and pick it up to help mm-hmm. someone else who can't do that for themselves. And that, that's the innate part of meaning and purpose that is missing in the let's just sell as many of these as we can for as much money as possible. And we don't care if we kill people and we destroy the planet because it's it feels good while you're on that journey and you're getting all the trinkets and trinketry and valuables and you're having a great old time going to the big conferences. But actually in the in the dark night of the soul, when you start reflecting on it, it, it catches up with you. And, you know, so... <laughs> I mean, you well, want to, with uh, most people there are, i think there are some people who actually just do not give a shit and will never give a shit and you know but, but I, I, you know like you talked about being a rep and, and working in the hospital where you're there basically um as a caddy man for a surgical <laughs> man i wish i'd had that on my card <laughs> caddy <Yeah. laughs> that's basically and, what you are caddy stroke fluffer for, for orthopedic surgeons <laughs> yeah exactly and you're like well that's um like you're going to get paid well, you know, you sell enough, you flog enough hip, hip implants, you're probably going to get, you know, going to get a pretty good wicket. Um, but is that going to be enough to cover the fact that you're sort of um, not that thrilled with the way you're going about it? You yeah. know, and it's different alignments, you know, there's certain, certain companies that are in business for different reasons to us. Some of them, mm. I mean, the company that I talked about before that, that has got this <laughs> agreement where it's commit to buying everything from us and we'll give you better pricing irrespective of how much you buy. Um, you know, that's sort of like, Okay, so you're you're in business for because you want to be a dick to other people, or you or you just want to make as much money as you can from the customer, or whatever it is, and that's it makes life hard to to, to you know. Well, we we won't work with you, but then yeah. anyway, it's, it is interesting. So, um, but I do think that based on my experience and interaction with people, that actually does cost. Yeah, you, know, you might make lots of money over here, but you have got to spend it making up for all yeah. of the you know 
feeling bad over here. And and probably there's some, something you can buy for that, um, whether it's legal or not, I don't know. But um, that's, that's the modern world we live in. 100% people self-medicating to fill the void of the, you know. Yeah, um, 100%. I mean, and that's why um, I love this guy, um, Gus Beth. He is uh, an environmental lawyer and he's got this great quote. Um, which, which is where you know, where for me, you know, I, I'm I'm not a real sustainability expert. <clears throat> I, I I couldn't help you work on how to make your packaging better or how how to help you reduce your carbon footprint or, or you know me- even measure your carbon. But what Gus Beth said, you know, I used to think that the top global environmental problems were biodiversity loss, ecosystem collapse, and climate change. I thought there were 30 years of good science we could address these problems, but I was wrong. The top environmental problems are selfish self selfishness greed and apathy and to deal with these we need a spiritual and cultural transformation and scientists don't know how to do that and i think that's that's more what i see i'm trying to play a part on is is telling the stories of guys like something like you you've had that path you could have gone and been working for fonterra probably earning a ton of money doing some really quite boring tinkering on the edges of how do we make this machine burn something slightly less or more quickly than uh, you know the previous one, squeezing a lemon on some process that you know. Not that I'm well, criticizing that... all the people that are doing that. I'm sure it's a great job and you love it. Um, but you know the, the impact that you're having at scale here. I mean, what that is, would mean to you ultimately. Two two things. If you're at Fonterra and you can make a a two percent difference yeah, on totally. the Fonterra, then yeah, like yeah. wow, that's yeah. amazing. But to my point earlier about I'm my job is not about sustainability. It's about change, and yep. so it's perfectly articulated. Like from a scientist perspective, like someone that's going to make that kind of change at, at Frontier, unless they're going to re-engineer the cow, is um, and then get everyone to adopt the re-engineered cow easily, mm. which is ultimately a change process. Yeah. Um, the, the that sustainability doesn't come from the technology; the technology enables it, but it comes from the engagement with people across the se- sector. And um, you know, very few sustainable technologies can just automatically catch on like an iPhone and just go yeah. around the world like wildfire. Yeah. So the well, like preferably not like wildfire because that's kind of not. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, yeah. it's really about um, yeah, making these these things work. And I think we have a million other people out there, more and more, who've got great positive environmental business ideas, but they will need to overcome. The, and, and in big bureaucratic organizations, the selfishness, the greed and the apathy that comes from the people who who, who don't care or it's going to yeah. affect them personally um, and, and make that happen. That's the challenge. That's the hard bit. Um, yeah. You know, when I talk to people senior in our health system about what our challenges are, they're never about the complexity of the product. It's all mm. about the, the relationships and, you know, all that stuff. And are we going to take people out to golf to get them to buy a product? No, we're not. Uh, we yeah. won't do that. It's not the sort of business that we want to be. But yeah. you know, if someone else is, then that makes life a lot harder for us. So. Yeah. Boy. Um, yeah, man. Fun times. Hey, look. Yeah. Well, we've been going for quite a while, and I know you were on a on a bit of a timeline. Um, so, just finishing up, what 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 does the future look like for MedSouth? Obviously, you've mentioned possible global expansion or at least regional expansion into Aussie. In terms of impact and and doing more good, anything was there anything from the B Corp journey that you kind of got your eye on or, or or just in general making more more impact into the future um well we'd like to improve our score i think you know like you can be good but that's subjective until you put the objective framework around it so we you know it's it's always harder i think the bigger the company is to get a higher score because you can't control yep. things as well as you'd like yep. um or you or you you know the the, the 
sometimes what is a marginal cost becomes a major cost. Mm. Um, but but we would like to inc- improve our score when we come back for a reassessment. So the next three years of MedSelf will be about, okay, that's the baseline. What can we do to improve that? Now, we're, we're already doing that. We've, we've, we've done a lot of that around um, in, our, in our workers area and then figuring out other ways that we can unlock things. What can we do to improve our advocacy for not just what we do, but what other yep. companies are doing and how other hospitals can do it? You know, um, yep. when, when we go into hospitals, we're advocating that they use reusable products, which we don't sell generally. We, mm-hmm. we do sell one reusable product, which we made to replace a single use product. Nice. We're going in there and when, <clears throat> when a hospital can fit with them, we'll advocate that they use a reusable product, which doesn't make us any money. Yep. Um, that, that sort of stuff so building on advocacy building on that showing people that what's possible like if we can do this in healthcare in the highly regulated space that we're in nice. then a model similar to this should be able to be applied in other areas and supermarkets and, and, and you know consumer goods mm. yep. um, I think that's probably what, what will try and drive yep. value for more people yep. than us through yep. but we're competitive so we you know hopefully um, all things going well um moving our score north next time we do this do it but um yeah we're pretty happy with what we got to but we could, yeah, man. could um but we know now where we've got to go so you know you know what you know awesome yeah well mate it's been really good to reconnect it's been a while since we've had a bit of a chat um it's a shame that we can do i was thinking oh maybe we could do a podcast on the skis but i was, I was like how could we could maybe record it on the chairlift um you know in little bits going going up and then skiing I'm going to try I'm going to play with that for next year, see if we can do a podcast on the chairlift, chairlift chats with B Corps. Um, I'd love to do that. I can see your skis in the background there. It's good. Yeah, I was really, I was possibly even going to look to postpone today to get up, but it's literally an average. So anyway, um, but no, mate, thank you so much for what you're doing. You you are just, you know, like I say, you, you are a B Corp to the core. How you're approaching it, just the way you're doing it is genuinely... I think you know you're you're going to look back in 30 40 years and you'll just go man what a ride like we 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 were the company that really changed a whole system and I think it, it, right now it's hard for you to reflect on on how you're doing that but I think yeah in the future you'll look back and, and you'll just go yeah what what a ride it was and I think yeah don't underestimate the amount of change and impact I think a you are having and b you will have because you are a, a strong determined character um you're a, you're a dog with a bone and um you know watch out world so yeah thanks to you mate thank you mate for everything you're doing and thanks for being a guest it's been great to chat to you awesome thanks for having me on tim hey it's tim here that b corp bloke from grow good if you want more content on purpose b corp how to do more good in the world as an individual or a business, then you know the drill. Hit the like and subscribe. Check out some of our other videos. They're probably floating around here somewhere. You know how it works. Thank you so much. See you next time.